Hello, this is Supriti from Newslaundry.com, bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Wednesday, the 25th of August. India recorded 37,593 new coronavirus cases in the last 24 hours, taking the infection tally in the country to over 3.25 crore. The death toll has increased by 648, taking the total fatality count to 4.35 lakh. All these figures, however, are widely believed to be undercounts. NDTV reported that 16 of the 78 Afghanistan citizens who were evacuated to India on Monday have tested positive for COVID-19. They have all been quarantined as a precautionary measure. Preparations are underway for a potential third wave of COVID, according to Delhi Health Minister Satyendra Jain. He said that the government was making arrangements for 37,000 non-oxygen beds and 12,000 oxygen beds in the capital. In an interview yesterday with The Wire, Chief Scientist of the World Health Organization, Dr. Soumya Soumyanathan said that COVID-19 in India may be entering a stage of endemicity, where there is a low or moderate level of transmission. The endemic stage is when a population learns to live with a virus and is different from the epidemic stage when the virus overwhelms a population. On the prevalence of COVID among children, Swaminathan said that parents need not panic. She said, and I quote, We can take from the Cero survey and what we learned from other countries also, that while it is possible that children could get infected and transmit, children luckily have very mild illness most of the time and there is a small percentage that gets sick and get inflammatory complications and few will die, but much less than the adult population. But it is good to prepare. End quote. In other news, UN agency UNICEF said that in the first week following the Taliban conquest of Kabul, COVID-19 vaccinations in Afghanistan have dropped by 80%. It warns that half of the few doses delivered to the country so far are close to expiry. A UNICEF spokesperson told Reuters that the drop was understandable, as in situations of chaos, conflict and emergency, people will prioritize their safety and security first. Globally, COVID-19 has infected more than 213.1 million people and led to over 4.45 million deaths. The West Bengal government told the Supreme Court today that the two-member commission of inquiry, headed by retired Supreme Court judge Justice Madan B. Lokur, to look into allegations surrounding the Pegasus spyware scandal, will not proceed until the Apex Court hears petitions about the same. The petitions seek a probe into the alleged surveillance scandal as well as those challenging the state government's decision to appoint the commission. According to live law, the state government submitted before the Apex Court that it had acted within its legal authority to appoint the commission, since the central government did not find it necessary to launch its own probe. The state had set up the two-member commission of inquiry, which also includes former Calcutta High Court Justice Jyotirmeh Bhattacharya, to prove the alleged surveillance of Indian citizens using the Israeli Pegasus spyware. However, a petition was then filed by NGO Global Village Foundation Public Charitable Trust to disband the said commission. Last week, Solicitor General Tushar Mehta termed the constitution of the committee unconstitutional. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court is likely to pass a comprehensive order on a batch of petitions related to the Pegasus scandal by next week. You can catch up with all the updates regarding the Pegasus case on our website before the court delivers its order next week. 
We have detailed reports on the Supreme Court proceedings as well as other reports on the chaos that followed right after the news broke. While you're on our website, you can also check out our other reports. A recent one by Snigdhendu Bhattacharya is about Vidya Bharati's curriculum that offers a distorted history of Asia's ancient geopolitics. For context, Vidya Bharati is the RSS's formal education wing. Snigdhendu's report is titled From Hindu Ocean to Sindhu Sea. Here's what RSS-backed schools are teaching children about history. We've also got a ton of podcasts, interviews and video reports that you can find on our website. We are completely advertisement-free, which means that you can fulfill your daily consumption of news without the likes of Amul and Patanjali hovering around on your screen. We want to change the business model of news in India, and for that, we look to your continued support. The reason why you, dear listener, are able to have a delightful ad-free experience is because of our subscribers, who pay to keep news organizations like ours free and independent. So if you aren't subscribed to us already, then what are you waiting for? Join the army that keeps news free. Our lowest subscription starts at only 300 rupees a month. PTI reported that Jamia Millia Islamia Alumni Association President Shifa Ur-Rahman yesterday asked in a Delhi court why no FIR was registered against Union Minister Anurag Thakur and BJP leader Kapil Mishra for allegedly instigating the February 2020 riots in the national capital. Rahman, who was arrested under the Unlawful Activities Prevention Act in connection with the Delhi riots and is seeking bail, said he had filed a complaint with the police against Thakur, Mishra, another BJP leader, Pravesh Sharma, and the man who shot at Anti-Citizenship Amendment Act protesters near Delhi's Jamia Millia Islamia University last year. Rahman's lawyer, Abhishek Singh, asked, and I quote, Did the prosecution even bother to call them as witnesses or accused or issue a notice that we want to know something? Because they said shoot XYZ, so the police know who these people are. They will at least have some evidence, end quote. According to Scroll, Singh was referring to Thakur's inflammatory slogans at a rally in Delhi in January last year, before the riots broke out. Thakur was heard shouting, Desh ke kaddaro ko, and the crowd responded with, Goli maro saloko. The slogan meant, shoot the traitors, with an expletive use for traitors, a reference to those protesting against the Citizenship Amendment Act. Rahman is one of the accused, along with activists Umar Khalid, Sharjil Imam, and Fezan Khan in a case relating to a larger conspiracy in the Delhi violence. He is accused of collecting money to fund the anti-CAA protests. The Delhi police claim the violence was part of a larger conspiracy to defame Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government and was planned by those who organized the protests against the amended Citizenship Amendment Act. The Uttar Pradesh government has withdrawn 77 cases related to the 2013 Muzaffarnagar riots without providing any reasons, live law reported. The matter was brought to the attention of the Supreme Court by senior advocate Vijay Hansaria, who is an amicus curiae in the matter. The submission was made in connection with the plea seeking the quick disposal of the cases against MPs and MLAs. Addressing a bench comprising Chief Justice N. V. Ramana and Justices Surya Kant and D. Y. Chandrachud, Hansarya said, and I quote, 510 cases had been filed against 6,869 accused persons in Uttar Pradesh. Out of these 510 cases, in 175 cases, the charge sheet was filed. 
In 165 cases, final reports were submitted, 170 cases were expunged. Thereafter, 77 cases were withdrawn by the state government under Section 321 of the CRPC, end quote. He added that in many of the 77 cases, the punishment would have been life imprisonment and asked that the cases withdrawn by the UP government be examined by the High Court. 60 people had died in communal riots in Muzaffarnagar and Shamli districts in Uttar Pradesh in 2013, and thousands of Muslim families were displaced. Assam Chief Minister Himanta Biswa Sarma has reportedly stated that all Taliban sympathizers in the state are under the scanner of the police. Any now reported today that Sarma further said that the Assam police has so far arrested only those individuals whose social media posts hint at violent intents. Referring to the arrest of 16 people across the state for allegedly making pro-Taliban posts on social media, Sarma clarified that they had allegedly advocated for an armed struggle. He said, and I quote, I am very happy to see that even the Muslim community in Assam has supported the arrests, end quote. Among those arrested so far include an Assam police constable, a senior leader of the state unit of the Jamiat Ulema-e-Hind, a medical student and a journalist. They have been booked under sections of the Unlawful Activities Prevention Act and the IT Act. The Wire reported that Deputy Inspector General Violet Barua said that the Assam police was taking stern legal action against pro-Taliban comments on social media, maintaining that they are harmful to national security. In a Twitter post, Barua said that the police was registering criminal cases against such people and implored citizens to bring other such posts to their notice. Tech giant Facebook had recently announced that it had banned all content supporting the Taliban from all of its platforms and that the American company considers them a terrorist organization. We have entered day 10 of the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan and the BBC reported today that the banks in Kabul have reopened for the first time since August 15th. However, many people are finding it difficult to access their savings. The closure of banks has compounded several other issues in Kabul in recent weeks, including the rise in food prices. Meanwhile, money transfer company Western Union, which allows people to receive money from abroad, suspended its services a week ago. The World Bank has also halted funding for projects in Afghanistan, and the International Monetary Fund has suspended payments. Evacuations from Kabul airport have picked up pace, with the total number leaving since the Taliban takeover reaching 70,700. The Taliban, however, has warned that Afghans should not go to Kabul airport or try to leave the country. According to figures released by the UN's Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in Afghanistan, more than 400,000 people have been registered as newly displaced since the start of May, as fighting intensified across the country. It added that almost 60% of Afghans who have been forced to leave their homes this year are children. That's all the news we have for you today. Have a good day or a good night, depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.